0: and we're back for another par train. Guys, this is a good episode. It is a chilly Thursday morning. This episode will probably come out on Monday in Los Angeles. Tiger is, was tied for the lead. I haven't looked at the leaderboard. It's a beautiful day because we got Scott Langley, PJ Tour Pro, on the pod. How's it going, Scott?
1: It's going good. Thanks for having me on, you
2: guys. Yeah, of course. Thanks for being here, Scott.
0: Scott is at home in Scottsdale <laughs> right now. And, uh, sir, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of a backstory just in case, uh, they haven't heard Scott Langley's name yet. They obviously will soon. I mean, the guy, the guy's on the rise, but why don't you give them a quick yeah. bio just to give them some yeah. context.
3: Raised in St. Louis, born in Chicago, played at the university of Illinois for the fighting Illini recently just got his first uh, professional win on the web.com tour two weeks ago in Panama. Um, he said two third places on the PJ tour he was low amateur uh, in the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach back in 2010. Played on the Palmer Cup and, and a winner um, for the American team. Been a pro since 2011. And uh, here's the thing where he he was raised in St. Louis, but he was born in Chicago, but somehow loves the Cardinals and the Packers. So we're going to have to get to that, Scott. But <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll dig into that later.
0: Also, I think we should talk about how... Scott was basically the Missouri rival to Matt and I's mutual best friend Brian Winehouse, so we'll dig into that a little bit later. But uh, Scott's on the PJ Tour and Web.com Tour, and Ryan's selling insurance. So uh, yeah, and do Ev, don't for,
3: don't forget, I played at Missouri State with Scott's younger brother Nick, so we can talk about Nick too a little later. As well.
0: a lot of lot of parallels. And guys, guys,
2: I have been to St. Louis, so there's also that. <laughs>
0: Have you? Didn't even know that. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, I've been there and I've seen it, so carry on. All right, oh, so
0: Scott, I'm going to open you up with a bit of a fun one. So, you know, you're the first lefty we've had on the train. Congrats. Uh, we're all righties, all right. so there's a lot to learn from you. And, you know, there's a lot to learn maybe from you guys in general. There's a lot of lefty success recently. Phil's been, I mean, the guy has like three top fives in the last three tournaments. Bubba just won. Ted Potter just won the week before. Harmon's playing well. So I have a question for you. How do you guys, I looked up some facts about lefties. How do you guys balance being more likely to be president, be the genius in the family, process things faster, but also be likely to die sooner, become an alcoholic, and be schizophrenic? Whoa. (laughs) Man, based on those stats,
1: we live pretty full lives. You might say we live multiple lives in one. It's a lot. It's it's you know it's across the bear for sure. Um, but you know, speaking to Brian Harmon, I heard Brian Harmon say one time uh, that you you know you never see a lefty with a bad short game in golf. And oh. you know, I'm not I'm not wow. gonna not gonna toot my own horn, but I'm certainly not gonna deny what he said. <laughs> there might be some truth to that. Um, something the way our our minds work, you know, maybe more right brain uh, creative. Um, but no, I, I don't know. I, you know, growing up as a lefty, and even to this day, I mean, nobody really stocks left-handed clubs because there's not many of us. And um, so, whenever somebody, you know, has a right-handed club, I can I can look at it and say, "Oh man, I will bet that looked really good left-handed." Just like this ability that you uh, develop over time, not being able to look at clubs you'll actually play, and uh, trying to translate it to uh, what you might like. From an equipment standpoint. But uh, yeah, the lefties are on the rise, man. And, you know, we're, we're taking no prisoners.
2: So, Scott, I, I have a two year old who uh, I'm trying to get into the game, and he only swings left handed. Are you telling me that instead of sculling my chip shots 50 yards past the green, I should just start using his Fisher Price left handed clubs? <laughs>
0: hey,
1: you know, get that right brain working. You don't know, you don't know the sky's the limit. I
0: okay. Mean, I like that approach. 2018, the year of the lefty. <laughs> yeah. Well, also,
2: Scott, so as we mentioned, you know, we had Mike Johnson on a little earlier last year, and and he told us some some great stories from just life on the tour. And I think, you know, anytime any of us get the opportunity to talk to one of you guys who's out there grinding, living the life that, that we all dream of, we're always asking for those those cool stories so you're you're at a muni golf course you're in a five some guys have been cracking beers what's kind of your go-to story that you're telling the boys when uh when they ask for a little insight into the tour life
1: you know it's funny there's there's so many personalities out on tour and and guys that are a certain way that you wouldn't necessarily expect and i'll uh i'll conceal their identities not that the story is necessarily embarrassing but it's It's pretty funny, and uh, a couple of veteran guys that I've gotten to know really well um, that, you know, themselves are very close friends, and so they pull pranks on each other all the time. And one year, um, they were up at the Canadian Open. This was a a long time ago, probably 15 years ago, and um, one of the tournament events at night, they had a pig roast, Uh, And they invited all the players and all the members from the club. So like everybody's up there and it's a really casual environment. And um, one of the guys goes up to the chef towards the end of the the evening. And the chef is, is handling this giant pig and uh, you know, serving ham and whatever to everybody. And um, the guy goes up to the chef. He's like, you know, can I, uh, can I have the pig please? And uh, the chef starts like carving it up and like, no, 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 no. I've, just want the pig's head so that's Jeff, like uh you know gives him a funny look and it's like uh, okay yeah no uh, no problem so they, they get the head off and this player takes the pig's head and goes into the locker room and uh goes to this other player's locker and gets a gets the locker open somehow puts the pig head in the locker put sunglasses on the pig and a cigarette hanging out of its mouth and sits there all night. So the other guy gets to the course the next day and opens up his locker and sees this pig head just cheesing at him. Sunglasses, cigarettes, and everything in his locker for the entire week smelled horrible. I mean, his gloves, the golf balls, like his brain gear, everything was a disaster. (laughs) <laughs> there are a few more pranks back and forth to kind of get retribution, but um, the the one that really won the battle, I feel like, was the pig head in the locker.
3: Yeah, that's taken it to the next level.
0: It's got to yeah, be a bad smell for urethane to adopt a smell. I yeah, mean, that's bad. You know,
3: that's a, they don't they
1: don't uh, they don't advertise pig scented golf balls for a reason. And, I'd love to uh, I'd love
2: I'd, lo- I'd love to see the ball flight on a uh, on a gristled Pro V1 though. That that might be some interesting data. Yeah. Probably be lower spin, would be my guess. There you go. Always, always looking for that lower spin.
3: So, one thing I, I was really interested in um, is how would you compare your game in 2018? Currently, you know, you just had your first pro win. Um, you know, and you're a top guy right now on the Web.com. So, how would you compare your game currently as to opposed to back in you know 2009, 2010, when you were one of the best amateur players in the world, um, competing for national championships? competing at the u.s open um and then at the palmer cup um we'd love to hear you talk about that a little bit
0: yeah i
1: mean i i think so many years like your your game just kind of evolves, and in that evolution you kind of have some high points and some inevitable low points and um if you want to talk about real low points you can reference the club pro guy i'm sure you guys have heard of him um sure on twitter but <laughs> but uh you know with me specifically i think um I think my good golf today is, is better than my good golf was back then. And I would say my bad golf is, is way better than my bad golf used to be back then. So sure. um, I would say my, my offense is a little bit better and my defense is way better. Um, Cause I've learned so many things about, you know, course management and my short game has improved um, to where, you know, if, if I'm not feeling it on any particular day, I still feel like I can go out and, and stay in the golf tournament and not, uh, you know, not shoot myself out of it. Um, like I may have done, you know, back when I was in college or like early starting out as a pro. Um, and that's, that's just evolution. You know, the things you learn, things you pick up playing with guys on tour. I watch a lot of guys, um, when I play practice rounds, um, try and play with a lot of veteran players who have been out, out there for a long time and just pick up on what they do and their strengths. Um, because it's not easy to stay on tour for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. So whenever I see a guy that's done that, I really try and pay attention to uh, what they do well and, you know, learn from that, apply it to my own game. Um, Because, you know, who doesn't want to play on tour for 10, 15 years in a row? So that's probably the biggest difference now and and, um, my game now versus what it was, you know, eight years ago.
2: What's one of those things like you mentioned, like, you know, picking up a, a tip from a veteran that that helps because because I've heard this before where, you know, when you feel like your bad golf is still good enough to be competitive, that's when guys start to really, you know, build up that confidence. What, what is one of those tips that you mentioned that you've picked up that helps kind of, you know, you can lean back on if you're not feeling around any particular day?
1: Well, something that I really like that I've seen guys do and in particular, I think Matt Kuchar uh, has spoken about this. Um, the first three or four holes of every round Cooch will play very conservatively it doesn't matter if he has a wedge into the first hole or um, whatever he, he's he basically aims at the middle of the green the first four holes and uh, you know plays plays to par those holes and in doing so kind of gets a feel for you know what what command do I have over my swing today you know my Am I really clicking or am I missing it a little bit, you know, a certain direction or, or both ways? You know, how, how aggressive can I play the rest of the round? And not only do you, like, uncover how you're really feeling about your game, but in those four holes you can also create momentum for the rest of your round. Um, you know, if I start out and I, you know, just it's the middle of the green, play stress-free golf for the first four holes of the of the round, all of a sudden I feel like, okay, I've got a little momentum, like maybe I can be a little more aggressive, you know, and, and I've gotten off to a solid start. Um, you know, that's, that's something that I never used to think about when I started out playing, you know, I used to, um, always just play pretty aggressively right out of the gates. And, um, funny how sometimes, even if you're feeling great and you miss kind of one, one shot, all of a sudden you're short-sided and make a bogey or a double and just kind of sets the tone for the day. And, and, Whereas like Cooch's philosophy sets the tone in a very solid way, like more consistent and uh, kind of less stressful way. Um, hmm. So, I don't yeah, know. That's kind of a... something I picked up on, and something I I try to apply, um, especially when you're playing the tougher golf courses, just to just to play for pars early and
3: kind of see see how you're really feeling.
0: Power of the par train, you know, starting that round on that train. Yeah, I love it. Exactly.
3: <laughs> Those first four holes being aggressive to big targets as opposed to smaller targets, like you got a confident, assertive plan, but just, you know, hitting to center of the greens or bigger areas, so to speak.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, when I, you know, pick a somewhat conservative target, it frees me up to swing better, I think, and with more freedom. Um, you know, if you come out right, right out of the gates and you've got a six iron and you're trying to get it into a tuck pin, you know, it's, it's not a low stress shot, you know, and coming, coming out, starting around, like, My philosophy now is like, I want to play low stress shots that I can swing aggressively and confidently to, you know, more conservative targets and then build my round off of a solid start.
3: I want to go back a little bit. I want to go back playing days at the university of Illinois, the fighting Illini. Um, Scott, you, you you're an NCAA individual champ. Um, You know, you, you competed and and won multiple tournaments and and obviously learned a lot during your time there. But I, I want to hear you talk about your coach, Mike Small. Um, you know, for those, for all the listeners out there, Mike small has been the head coach for, of Illinois for, for quite some time now. And is arguably, you know, the best coach in the country, um, especially being at a Midwestern cold weather program. Um, you talked about how he, he, he really talks a lot about short game, but, um, I'd like to, we'd like to, you know, maybe get into a little bit more about coach small and your experience uh, playing for him.
1: Yeah. I mean, when I first committed to go to Illinois coach was really the the biggest reason I, I knew I wanted to play golf professionally and Knowing that he had done it and done it well, um, I thought that you know there's not many guys that would be better to learn from than him, and I was I was proven right over the four years I was there. You know, Coach, um, you know, aside from the technical side of my game where he helped me immensely, especially short game, he really taught me how to play the game and play the game at a professional level, um, and that comes down to you know pretty pretty simple things, but you wouldn't necessarily think about it unless somebody coached you up, you know, to learn these things like a dog leg right, like making sure you don't miss your tee shot to the right, like always playing to the, the wide, the, you know, the, the fat side of the dog leg, and, you know, being conscious of where you want the ball to end up on the green, you know, to have the best look at birdie, whether that's short or long or right or left. Um, and, you know, just developing kind of a blue collar mentality when it comes to, toughness and and fighting through like tough conditions, which we faced a lot going to Illinois. Sure. Um, Yeah. He, he, you know, I, I I definitely thank, you know, my, my teachers and everybody who helped me growing up in in St. Louis for um, introducing me to the game and really providing a good foundation for me to build my swing on and my short game. Um, But I really feel like coach for me took it to the next level and taught me how to play the game um, how to, how to save shots, you know, and how to be efficient and, uh, how to travel, you know, things, the importance of routine, you know, and, and, uh, being prepared in all aspects of life to, to be a great golfer, not just when you go and tee it up on, on Thursday morning. Um, there's a professionalism and a kind of experience that he shared with us that, uh, you know, you can't really get anywhere else. Um, is very valuable
0: I've always been fascinated by how a college coach for golf designs their style right because it's not like football where you can have everybody working on the same things and have a plan for everybody right like some people may like having more technical help other people may need more mental assistance, more course management, fitness like he designs a specific plan for each player right and that that's got to be. It's got to be a challenge.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that's where his experience really comes in. And, and I remember at the start of each season we would kind of sit down and and frequently throughout the season we would sit down with Coach individually and look at our stats and kind of assess our games and, and uh, figure out, you know, what area you do I need to really improve at? So we would have a combination of kind of unstructured practice where we were off on our own, but then also structured stuff that he would design to, to try and um, – you know, make us tougher. And one of the things that we used to do, we had a chipping green. It was uh, a pretty nice facility at our at our orange and blue course out by uh, out by the airport in Champaign. And this the short game green was kind of like multi-tiered and had rough and kind of you could get short-sighted easily. It presented you all kinds of shots. And we used to do this drill where coach would pick six holes and uh, basically it would be five really difficult up and downs And one easy up and down, but the easy up and down would be to like the little hole, you know, like the one that's just bigger than a golf ball. So we had to finish the drill. Mind you, six holes. We had to finish the drill in 11 shots consecutively to be done. And so that means you have to chip one in and get the rest up and down in a row. If you miss one, you you know, you got to chip two in. Uh, And so we, you know, Starting out the drill every time without fail, all the, all the guys, you know, half hour in, we'd be laughing, like joking around and, you know, having fun. Nobody would be getting it done, but we'd be like joking around and then like an hour and 15 minutes rolls around and everybody all of a sudden starts to get a little dark. Like everybody wants to get the drill done, clubs start flying, like F-bombs being (laughs) dropped. You know, it gets, gets intense. And I remember the first time we did it my freshman year senior teammate of mine and myself, uh, we didn't get it done for like five hours and we were about to have <laughs> to come night. back in the morning and finish it. And, uh, as daylight was, you know, going away, we, uh, we barely finished. We finally did it like right before the sun went down and I'll never forget like the feeling of satisfaction. And I was like, just worn out. But like, what do you know? The next day we go out and, and play qualifying and my short game feels like I can chip anything in, you know? And, it's yeah. like, this totally different feeling that I ever had and confidence and belief and, and, uh, that's the goal, you know, and that's, that's something that's a small example of what coach, you know, would design for us and to, to kind of build in us a a toughness and a fortitude, um, to accomplish a task that is very difficult, but to do it and know that if you don't do it, like there is no not doing it. You either get it done or (laughs) you you just continue to chip forever.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I love wow. that. That's and a prime.
3: That's a prime story.
0: <laughs> I'm fascinated by your journey because when you were in college, obviously Ryan would keep us updated, and we'd follow and root for you. Especially your senior year, where you were arguably the hottest amateur in the world. Right, you won the national championship at Illinois. You were the low at pebble in the U.S. Open, tied 18th. You went into your first tournament as a PJ Tour member, and you shoot an eight under 62 then a four under 66 and then a 65. And you, you have the lead going into Sunday and your first PGA tour event as a member. I just want to hear about that Saturday night because I'm curious, were you just so hot at that time where it wasn't really phasing you or were you trying to keep your mind off of it? I I just want to hear about that Saturday night and your mentality going into Sunday.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, (laughs) that was obviously a, a, a great week. I, um, I've, I don't think I've ever putted better for 72 holes and maybe like 54 holes. I didn't putt great on Sunday, but I've never, I never—I don't think I've ever putted better for 54 holes than, than I did um, those first three rounds in the Sony in my rookie year. And, uh, you know, sleeping on the lead was not something I was particularly used to, um, especially at the on the PGA Tour level. Um, but it was funny. I had this just calmness. I'd, I really – Was just excited to play and excited to be in that position. And I guess, you know, being such a being so green and, you know, being a rookie, I probably didn't even realize like the weight of what was going on. I was just, you know, playing golf and enjoying it. And like you said, I was playing with a lot of confidence and um, really felt like I had what it, what it, what that course required, you know, that week. And, I didn't necessarily play bad on Sunday, but I just got beat. You know, the two guys mm-hmm. I played with went out and shot 63 on Sunday, and I finished third, you know, shoot 70, which isn't a bad score, but, um, you know, a great experience. I mean, it taught me, you know, a lot about um, maintaining my rhythm on Sunday when you're in that position, you know, because yeah, you know, my young kid. You know, there's a lot of people, a lot at stake, you know, I definitely look back on that round and some other rounds that I've been in contention where like human nature takes over and you kind of get a little quick and, and, uh, you make mistakes because of that. And so, uh, matter of fact, this few weeks ago when I won in Panama, when we had four holes to go on Sunday, I turned to my caddy and I just said, you know what? I don't care what happens these next four holes, but we're going to keep our rhythm the same and we're going to walk at a steady tempo and we're going to take our time. And, uh, you know, it, it, it paid off. I mean, I, I didn't necessarily finish great, but it's such a demanding golf course that, that, uh, you know, I was still able to get the job done and, and, um, you know, that's, that's just an example of something that I learned that day at the Sony that is carried, that I carried forward with me, um, to, to today. And, um, yeah, definitely, you know, fun to kind of come out and do that well, that early and, and kind of put my name out there and, uh, now I have this reputation after, after three rounds at the Sony, my <laughs> this reputation of like making everything on the greens has followed me, which, uh, isn't a bad thing to be known as.
0: Yeah. Um, and the crazy thing so, too, uh, Scott is that was 2011, right? And you probably thought, okay, this is how it's going to be, right? I've been, I've been winning everything, uh, in college, you won the, the Palmer cup in Europe. We'll talk about that. And then first event, you almost won. So in hindsight, that was 2011. You just got your first pro win 2018 on the web. Can you talk about that grind for a second? Did you expect the grind? Has it been tough to continue to grind and know that you have enough to win? Or? Um,
1: yes and no. I mean, I, I, I love to practice. I love to improve. Like, I love the grind. So it hasn't been tough to... Uh, to continue to, like, fight to get better. Um, I think the thing that I, you know, after that week, and I've had some other, like, great weeks on tour, just kind of the next week can be tough. Like, you, you really need to, like, separate yourself from expectations after a great week um, and focus on the same stuff that got you there in the first place. And, you know, like you said, my, my first tournament as a member on the PGA Tour, I finished third place that's a great finish, you know, being in contention, um, you know, maybe part of me expected to continue that play, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, but maybe I, I put a little too much pressure on myself to live up to that performance. Um, and you know, that, that's never a good thing. You don't want to put too much pressure on yourself in golf and, you know, you want to play with freedom and, and, you know, make the game feel easy. That's, that's the goal. Um, so that's kind of the thing that I've learned to get better at is to, um, you know, not, not expect that I'm going to continue to play great unless I work hard and stick to my process and like focus on the things that, that get me to those great peaks in my career. Um, you know, it's not just going to happen because it happened two weeks ago or three weeks ago. Like I've got to keep my head down and continue to focus. And, um, you know, that's maybe something that I, uh, I it took me a while to learn, um, but you know I feel like I've learned it now, and and uh, you know, I'm glad that I have. And, and it can only really come with experience. It's tough to really teach that unless you go through it.
2: So speaking of uh, you know learning and experience, we got a Ryder Cup year this year. As Evan mentioned, you've won the Palmer Cup, which is essentially the collegiate Ryder Cup. What, what do you think are some of the most important aspects for that team play success? Given that it's a, it's a totally different style that not a lot of guys are, are really competing in for the most part, you know, is it going out? Is it hazing the rookies before the big day? Is it, is everyone going out and getting team tattoos, you know, the night before maybe a really sweet lower back stamp? I don't know. Like what, what do you think are the biggest aspects to success?
1: I think we should stay away from the lower bag stamps, but
2: okay. um, Well, let's not rule it out officially, you know, I, but yeah, it's good advice.
3: <laughs> Maybe the Europeans, yeah,
1: unofficially, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I played on the Palmer Cup team. was an amazing experience. Um, I haven't, you know, been close or played on the Ryder Cup or Presidents Cup team, but some friends of mine have, and I think, uh, I think the tough thing about team play is when you're playing with another guy in like foursomes or four ball you kind of put more pressure on yourself because it's not just yourself that you're playing for. Like every other week of the year, you're you're playing for another guy and uh, you know, add all this on top of playing for the United States, um, which is a huge honor, obviously. And I think, you know, I think guys who in a good way can be selfish and just focus on themselves and their own golf. That's when guys play the best and, you know, feed off each other, but, but don't put too much pressure on yourself because, you know, another guy's fate is in your hands. Um, I think uh, if you look back to the President's Cup, we had a team of guys, I mean, if we can get the same group of guys in the Ryder Cup that we had at the President's Cup, I really like our chances because these guys were all bulldogs, you know, ready to fight. I mean, it was was an interesting group and it was really fun to watch, you know, because I know all these guys and I know that that they're just full, that group was full of guys who are ready to go, you know, uh, ready to fight. And um, I think if, if we can assemble, like I said, a similar group to that, that uh, we'll be in good shape. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, that team dynamic introduces a whole new part to golf. And, and I think if you can make it as individual as possible in that atmosphere, um, that's the way you play well. And that's, that's you know, how you play how you, how you normally do.
0: So speaking of uh, bulldogs and fighters, I got a pointed question for you. How on earth do web.com tour caddies survive? I just want to give some context for the listeners before you answer, Scott. Chesson Hadley, guy that was player of the year on the web last year, made $265,000. Awesome. Bo Hosler, now on the tour, 164000 Okay. The money leader last year made three hundred sixty eight. So if you're thinking about the classic compensation package for a caddy, it's 10%. And that's for the best guys. So how How on earth do these guys stay afloat
1: That's a good question um, and we ask ourselves that same question sometimes, you know, thinking about our own guys and and um others you know that we that we see out on on the road um, I got to think that these guys are experts at saving money uh, on <laughs> with travel i mean these guys these guys are road warriors i mean they they drive yeah. from you know, like Portland, you know, Oregon to Columbus, Ohio, you know, they, they, you know, split a $39 a night Priceline hotel with like four other guys, you know, and it's, it's not a, it's not a comfortable life. Um, But the upside is what attracts guys to do it. And I think especially if you're like a young guy who loves golf and maybe you played, but like you, you don't quite, you know, have what it takes to play at the pro level. I think caddying on the web would be kind of fun, to be honest. Like you hang out with a bunch of guys, you're inside the ropes. Um, you know, you definitely feel the heat of the moment if you're in contention, or you, know, you get that you get that um, bug a little bit. Um, I know that there's quite a few young guys that are caddying this year, and I think it's great. Um, but no, it's it's not an easy life, and even on the PGA tour, it's it's tough. You know, it's uh, there's not a lot of job security, um, so there's quite a bit of uncertainty. You know, with week to week, if you're going to be working, if who you're going to be working for, and um, you know, only half the guys really make money every week, and then and you know, there's some guys who barely make you know anything, even with making the cut. After expenses, who are caddies, and it's a tough life. But you know, the upside is what attracts guys to do it. And I think a love, a love of the game and a love of travel too, um, you know, gets gets guys to do it because it is fun. You see so many cool cities and go to so many unique places um, that if you know if you're up for up for the grind, it can be it can be a fun life.
0: Yeah, and I was curious too. Like your first tour event as a member, we talked about it. Sony, you know, you're playing for over a million in contention. And I was curious, do you approach the game any different on the PGA and web when you, let's say you're fighting for, you know, a 30th, tied for 30th, which might be 40 grand or whatever on the PGA tour, but on the web, it might be 3,500, right? Like, does that, does that add pressure when you're on the bigger stage versus smaller? Is it easy to let put your foot off the gas because you know it's a difference of like 500 to a thousand dollars like can you talk about the differences there mentally
1: there definitely is a big difference in the prize money <laughs> but for me i don't know i i like i think earlier in my career i focused more on money and like what i was making each week with each shot like what what the last putt was worth on the last hole on sunday um but I don't know. The more I've played, like I've realized, like you're gonna make what you're gonna make. You just need to play golf and try and be your best, and let that stuff like take care of itself. Like almost not even pay attention to it. And I've learned how close it can, you know, how fine the line really is. And so I, I grind over every single shot, no matter what tournament I'm playing in, because you never know. At the end of the year, um, you know, I kind of learned the hard way. A couple years ago, I finished 127th on the FedEx Cup list. And I lost my card by 10 FedEx Cup points, which, you know, over the course of the season is probably one putt at at a good, you know, at a tournament where I finished well. Um, So I kind of learned the hard way that that no matter where it is, where it is in the season, you got to grind it out because you never know what that putt or what that shot could mean later in the year when it comes down to... You know, where am I going to play next year? Am I going to make the FedEx Cup? And am, am I going to make the Web Finals? Um, you know, even though it might be worth less money on the Web Tour, you know that that putt for five hundred bucks on the last poll on Sunday. You know, there are guys every year who miss their PGA Tour card by fifty dollars or sixty dollars. You know, it's that the line is that fine, and so you know you just got to you just got to give every shot your utmost you know, the utmost importance and all of your focus. Um, and you know, that's, that's golf. I mean, you can't, you never let up until you're done.
3: You're focused on the web.com this year, but you've been on, you've, you've had, um, a lot of status on the PGA tour. Obviously your, your, your goal is to get back to the PGA tour, but you know, and, and if you can do it this year, great. So, you know, week to week, you've got a web.com schedule, but there's chances you could be, you know, you know, playing in a major or playing in a PGA tour event. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, that weekly shuffle and kind of what it takes, you know, what it could take in a Web.com event, let's say, you know, in March to get yourself into a PGA Tour event in April um, and maybe talk about if, if you're going to do any Monday qualifiers on the PGA Tour um, and just that, you know, and then in the end, Scott, keeping your mind right so because, you know, the atmosphere can be constantly changing.
1: Well, from a, from kind of a big picture perspective for me this year, I kind of have a number in my mind that I want to make before I focus on any PGA tour events. Um, so once I get there, then I'll start to think about, you know, maybe pursuing some exemptions or maybe Monday qualifying for some tournaments. Um, but the best thing I can do for myself right now is just focus on the web tour and do my best out there. And, you know, it's not as glamorous, no doubt, but, um, I think it's the investment is uh, a good one. And, the web schedule is set up in such a way where if I really wanted to, I could go and grind out some Monday qualifiers and I could go and pursue some exemptions. But then all of a sudden, if I get in to a tour event and I play, I lose an off week, which is valuable. Um, you know, sure. it's the middle of the season on the web in the summer can be such a grind. You know, last summer I played 10 tournaments in a row, which uh, thankfully this summer I won't have to do, partly because of the way the schedule is set up, but also because of the position I'm in now. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not fighting to make the web finals. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm securing my status for the next couple of years. So um, I can plan my schedule a little no, bit. That's, better a, good, that's a really good point. Yeah. I, and take weeks off, you know, that are valuable. I mean, you can't expect to play well playing, you know, eight, ten weeks in a row. It, it's just so tough physically and mentally to do. And um, you know, I saw Phil get interviewed at Riviera last week after he, he goes and finishes in the top five in his last three tournaments and the, the lady interviewing him, I was like, what, you know, why don't you play Honda Phil? You're playing so great. And he's like, I definitely see that point, but like, and this is what he said. He's like, I've learned that, you know, it's just as important to have off weeks to physically recover and mentally recover and, you know, come back, you know, for, for bigger tournaments later in the spring, like the masters fresh, you know, and not worn down and, I feel like he's played too much. Um so
3: from one lefty to another, right?
2: A lot of college basketball to bet on in between those tournaments for Phil
0: as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> my ear my ear's always perk up when Phil talks. I like his interviews. He's a he's a good interviewer.
0: I was yeah. shocked that he said he needs to win before the Masters. He he feels yeah, like he he can't just rely but, on good play at the Masters to be competitive. He needs to win before, which I found fascinating.
1: Even Phil, who's won there multiple times. Yeah. That was uh interesting.
0: So Scott, I hear, uh, that you, you're a
2: big first tee nutrition bar guy. And I've heard through the grapevine that if you eat a 10th T nutrition bar on the first tee, you can add about a hundred yards to your tee shot. Can you confirm <laughs> or deny? <can> I? <laughs>
1: I like keep it pretty much inside the lines, you know, first tee bar on the first tee, 10th tee bar on the 10th tee. but sure. I have heard rumblings of guys who have experimented, you know, with Going with the t bar, and I don't think the effects were negative. Yeah. Um,
3: you know,
2: I mean, but it's it's a wild thing to do. You're really putting it out there if you do it. But uh, <laughs> that's you. They survived. Yeah, it's what I'm a risk. Yeah, it's a so, risk.
3: But, it's Scott, right. what about the uh, so, Scott? We saw you were trying the gluten free uh, bar. You care to talk oh, yeah. about the effect, the effects there?
1: Well, let me just say I took some heat on Twitter about that, especially from uh, the Ed Lore tracker, because Ed doesn't necessarily. Endorse gluten free products in the way that I do. Um,
3: wow!
1: But <laughs> it was all, you know, it was really funny. Um, they, uh, the, the, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you know about the Ed Laura Tracker on Twitter. Um, I sent out that tweet, and uh, just so happened that Sunday, Ed and I were in contention together, and you know, tied for the lead. And sure enough, I was looking over my Twitter at the end of the day, and the tracker, you know, posts something like you know, by all accounts, Scott Langley is a good guy, but if you need a reason to root against him, just look at his snack choice. Like that's not an endorsed Ed (laughs) Lore like healthy snack. Like Ed would have half of a dilly bar instead of a first tea bar. Um, so that that made me me laugh, but, um, the, the gluten free, I I don't know. It's just, I try and be pretty healthy. I try and eat well. Um, so, you know, I, I try and cut down on the gluten. It's tough. I mean, I, there are times when I sit down in a restaurant and I order the pizza and I turn to the waitress and I'm like, can I have extra gluten? You know, like there are times when
0: I want the extra gluten. You get a gluten floater. <laughs> why not? So, I've seen a trend that not many people talk about on tour, which is a guy that's maybe missed two out of four cuts, three out of four cuts, maybe even four missed cuts, has a lot of high finishes and then suddenly wins. Right? And And they always ask, you know, How did that happen? Maybe it was one thing on the range or something. But I actually think that, and I see this as an amateur, when you have a bad run, usually what you do is you go back to basics and you're just trying to keep it in play and you keep things simple. And that ends up leading to having a really good round. Would you say that's true for a pro or why do you think that trend seems to happen so many times?
1: I would say it is true. Um, Again, I think the line is, so fun, it's so competitive on the PGA Tour and the Web.com Tour that you can go from, you know, missing a few cuts. And I think about, like, when you look at somebody's results, like, it says cut. You don't necessarily see if they finished, you know, 150th or if they finished, like, 71st and missed the cut by a shot. So, like, you, you can have a guy who misses three cuts in a row and he's striping it, but he's just not making any putts he misses each cut by one or two and then he gets the putter figured out and then wins. that's, you know, that's how, that's how much parody there is on tour. Um, you know, guys are so good and so equal, you know, with the exception of kind of your guys, your superstars who are seemingly in the mix every week. Um, but there's so much parody that it makes a streak like that. Not seem like a strange thing to me as a player. Um, (laughs) and you see it all the time. I mean, it's just kind of the way guys can be sometimes with their mindset, you know, and if a guy is maybe more aggressive, maybe he has a career that looks more like that, you know, some miscuts where he's, you know, just maybe missing in the wrong places. And then all of a sudden he, you know, figures it out, stripes it, hits everything close and wins. Um, you know, it, it, and that's just at the end of the day, like it's also just golf, like it's such a fickle game and Like, I won in Panama, and then the next week I go to Bogota, play a golf course, which probably suits my game even better than Panama. And I hit 32 greens in regulation for two days. I missed four greens. And I shoot two over, and I miss the cut. (laughs) I go from having probably one of my best putting weeks ever when I won to probably one of my worst putting weeks ever the next week. That's just the way golf is. And I did the same exact stuff. I, I prepared the same way, same drills you know, felt the same. Sometimes you just, the putter just doesn't, you know, cooperate and you have these funny results. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so many people in the media, I think, make such a big deal about results. And when you ask a guy who plays, you know, to to look at a guy's career or a guy's, like, record, you know, in a given year, you don't really get many surprises. You're like, Oh, a guy missed a few cuts, on he won. Like that's totally possible. Um, you know, I could totally
0: see how that would happen. All right, we got a couple more questions, and then we'll get you out of here. Serum, you want to ask? Uh, you want to talk uh, Scott's brother, Nick? I know you've been yeah, dying to.
3: The thing with Nick, he's got a great, he's got a great looking swing. Scott, where um, he's got like perfect lines. You know, and he's six five. He hits it a long way. Was that ever intimidating?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't intimidating because I, I knew I could still beat his butt. <laughs> nice. In a physical fight, there were times that he—I uh, my low
3: oh. center of gravity definitely
1: helped. Uh, well, we're brothers. We used to wrestle all the time.
0: Sure.
3: sure.
1: Oh yeah. I'd love to get
3: Nick's take you know, on that.
1: Oh yeah. Well, now it might be different. He's—he's he's outgrown me now. But um, right. back in the day, I, I could still—I could still take him down. But no, I mean, growing up with a brother playing golf is the best. I mean, we used to—you know—go to the family golf center in Kirkwood every day sure. and just hit. 500 balls, a thousand balls. There was like no max to what we would do and hitting right next to each other, like watching each other. And then we'd go play 21 on the putting green, you know, we'd chipping in go yep. play the par three, like, my gosh. I mean, we, you know, we worked together at, at a country club in town, you know, in the cart room. Um, so, so many, you know, great memories from growing up and having a brother. Um, you know, it's funny that, <laughs> more recent funny memory with Nick and golf he uh, ever since college he kind of hasn't been playing as much he's been working for enterprise rent-a-car and doing amazingly well
0: like just he's killing it they pick you up
1: yeah he's been doing great he's been doing great and uh, he (laughs) called me one night and he hadn't played golf for probably three months he calls me one night and he's like you're never gonna guess what I just did I was like "Um, yeah okay you know he's living down in uh living down in arkansas working for enterprise i'm like all right what'd you what'd you do (laughs) he's like you know that course i've been the course i've been living on like i got the apartment at the golf course i was like yeah he's like i just shot 59
2: (laughs) 59
3: (laughs) i I don't think i heard this story
2: Baby, (laughs) baby bro goes out and
1: shoots 59 like like total book ending gets, you know, it's so dark, like he has to two putt from 30 feet in the dark. They bring out the cars and like the iPhone flashlights, turn on the headlights so he can see, he shoots 59 and the kid, like can didn't even play <laughs> golf for three months. Like how does, who does that? Um, but what? no, I mean, that just shows, you know, like you were saying, he, you know, he's always had a ton of talent and.
3: Oh yeah. We used to battle it out in, uh, qualifying. My, my fifth-year senior, I was fifth-year senior. He was a freshman. And we've got, I mean, it just every qualifier was him and I, You know, us two going for the last one or two spots. So a lot of great memories with Nick. I
2: think a big takeaway here also is not only does Enterprise give you the tools to be your own boss off the course, but clearly on the course as well with the 59 watch.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, right. that's impressive. All right, we got one final question for you. We asked this to uh, Kevin Chappell as well. He had an interesting answer. So we want to hear from you. We want, and European Tour is already starting to do this, we want to mic up the caddies and we want to hear those conversations. And I want to hear from the player perspective.
1: <laughs> First of all, I'd love to hear Chappie's answer to this question. But um, I, uh, <laughs> you'd have to be pretty selective with the guys that you mic up because I'm not going to lie, we go dark sometimes out on the, out on the golf course. And, uh, it would not be PG. And, uh, you know, I, I, there are some things said that would, that would definitely be good comedy. Um, you know, guys in certain situations, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I think it'd be fun. I don't see.
3: Wow. There we some,
1: go. With some good, ed- I think with some good editing, it would take some heavy editing, but you could get some good nuggets. You could get some good stuff. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't be terrible. I think um, maybe start with like pro-ams or practice rounds to kind of sure. You know, because some guys wouldn't want to play. You wouldn't want to play with like a mic on, but you know, like they'll they'll mic up. I really enjoy when I watch golf on TV, which is rare. I, but I I used to really enjoy watching Phil and Bones Mackay talk
3: oh, the, like talk the, through a the shot. best.
1: Oh my gosh! And those guys. <laughs> like breaking it down like a like a chemistry textbook like every shot and uh so like that that is definitely cool i would totally be on board with that like getting a mic close enough to hear the player caddy conversation pre-shot now you might you might wear out the bleep button (laughs) post-shot if you get too close with a mic um but but i think um pre-shot you know, I think that'd be really cool. And, and uh, I think guys would go for it as long as it's not too intrusive. And sure. you know, I, I think most of the, most of the time you don't even notice if a mic guy guys standing there, you know, recording what you guys are talking about or whatever they do a good job of kind of staying out of the way. But um, I don't know, like I said, you need some editing, but there'd be <laughs> some good nuggets in there and good, uh, some good stuff that would come out of that, I think for the viewer.
3: Absolutely, Ev's a big advocate of it. So I think we can uh, get a task force going. Maybe something for
1: 2020. For sure. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. Once, uh, yeah. Once we get past all the rules changes, then we'll address uh, miking up players and caddies. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Priorities.
2: (laughs) Okay. One last quick ask, Scott. Who, uh, who do you think we should have next on the par train? Uh, Any, any friends here? Is anybody from the tour that we got to get on?
1: Oh man, you got to get my boy Keith Mitchell um on the podcast he is uh, he's awesome he's so funny um sure he has some great insight he's a georgia bulldog so he'd probably talk a lot of football so oh prep your college football awareness um but he'd uh, he'd be great he's a great personality Hits it forever um really good player playing on tour in his rookie year this year and um he was always my guy uh, last year, giving me all the good like tips on which credit card to get and like which uh, Amex concierge <laughs> service to use. He's very sophisticated.
3: He's off, off to a good start too this year with pretty good finishes at the Sony and the AT T.
1: Yeah, yeah, no surprise. I mean, Keith's a great player, and his game definitely is built for the tour.
0: So, well, Scott, we know you had we had you on for a while. Thanks so much for coming on. This was great. You gave us a lot of great insights um, for everyone to follow. You your Twitter is at Scott underscore langley do you have anything else you want people to check out um you
1: know no i,
3: I just uh
1: you know I, I have links to all of my sponsors on my twitter page so if uh, y'all want to go there and, and definitely check them out you know i'm really proud of the the companies that i partner with and and um you know put a lot of thought into what i do with uh, these companies so i've got links on there to all their pages and um yeah just check check those guys out and um Yeah, no, that's that's it. I don't want to, I don't want to plug
0: too much. Sweet. Well, thanks again so much, guys, golf fans out there. Keep an eye on Scott Langley. We know he's going to be at the top sooner than later. So keep up the great play and uh, good luck the rest of the year. Okay. Thank
1: you, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Scott.
0: Thanks, Scott.